Just Our Real Estate, episode number 336. Understand that your mindset is going to constantly be shifting and expanding. And you can't just like go from A to Z right away. You know, your brain has to grow a little bit at a time, wrap your head around it, and move on to the next thing. I think you grow, then you plateau, then you grow, then you plateau. Um, that was the first mindset shift was start doing marketing for my own self. All right, guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being with me. I appreciate you tuning in. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing with your time right now, and the fact that you're choosing to spend it with me is very cool. And I'm really excited to dive into today, to today's show. But before I do that, I just want to talk to you a little bit about your business. Guys, are you taking your business where you want it to go? Is your business growing? Are you succeeding at a level that you know you can succeed at in this business? Or do you feel a little bit like you're you're struggling to get to that next level? You're struggling to get your business off the ground? Or maybe it is off the ground and you just really want to take it to a much higher level and don't know how you should do it? Well, listen, I'm here to tell you I was in that same spot at one point and I know what helped me. I want to help you if you really want to take your business to the next level or if you're just kind of getting started and you really need help understanding how to build your business, how to set up systems, how to really turn what you're doing from a job into a business that works for you instead of you working in it, I want to talk to you about it. You can give me a call if you go to my link on my website, it says, talk to me about education, right? So go to juststartrealestate.com. On the right-hand side, click on the banner that says, talk to me about education, and you can schedule a 15-minute phone conversation with me where we will go over your business, talk about it, and see if coaching would make sense for you. Guys, it made sense for me, and it makes sense for dozens and dozens of people every month who come through our coaching program and really turn their job, air quotes, job of real estate into a business that can grow and scale and support them and their family and help them get to where they want to be in life. So if you feel like you might fall into that category and you want to talk to me about what coaching can do for you, go to juststartrealestate.com on the right-hand side, click on the banner that says talk to me about education, schedule a time to talk to me, and we'll discuss it. I'm looking forward to talking to you about your business. Okay, guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being with me, and I'm excited to have my guest on. This is somebody that I've known now for a couple of years, and she's awesome, and she's a friend of mine, and she's uh, an investor that I, I really think highly of, and uh, I've been trying to get her on this podcast for a while. It's mostly been my fault that it hasn't happened. I've had things come up and cancellations, and it's just been crazy. So I'm excited to have her on, and I'm glad she stuck with it and is agreed to, to do this, even though I've had to put off a couple of times. Uh, her name is Becca Shea. Becca went to WPI, and I'm going to ask her what WPI is. I'm assuming it's in a university for mechanical engineering on an ROTC scholarship where she met her husband. Upon graduation, she became a U.S. Naval officer. Her dream was to be a pilot, but unfortunately, her eyes disagreed. Instead, she served on an aircraft carrier, which at times was very difficult, but also very rewarding. After about four years in the Navy, she got a job as an engineer working in the energy arena, helping to build a power plant to support aircraft carriers stationed in Japan. She worked with that company for seven years. When her daughter was three years old, she decided to spend less time traveling and more time at home. She bought her first 
Rehab, which was a hoarder house that she essentially gutted and she was hooked from that point forward. The first year, she flipped three houses. The second year, she flipped six and then moved up to one a month and started building out a team to support that flipping habit. Uh, This year, Becca's on track to do 20 or more flips and a few wholesale deals, as well as venturing into the rental arena. Becca, again, I am very excited to have you on, and I appreciate your time, and thanks for being patient with me for all the events that uh, transpired leading up to this momentous occasion when I have you on my podcast. So thank you. Thanks, Mike. Super happy to be here. Yeah, it's awesome for you to be here. So I talked a little bit about your background. I think you have a very cool background, very interesting background, um, much more exciting than mine and probably a lot of listeners. So why don't you take us back a little bit and talk a little bit about that background and, and kind of what you did prior to getting into real estate. And then we'll, of course, dig into your real estate experience. Sure. So I graduated high school, I had an ROTC scholarship to go to get my engineering degree at Worcester Polytech. It's up in Massachusetts. So okay. When I went there, I think there were 2,000 students. Now there's like four. It's an awesome school. Met my husband. We were in the same dorm freshman year. He's awesome. You also know him. Um, and then got out, got commissioned as an officer, went to, went to grad school first, actually. That's your tax dollars at work. <laughs> <laughs> awesome where I got uh, my master's degree in mechanical engineering as well. And then I went to flight school. My eyesight disqualified me. Uh, I ended up on an aircraft carrier. That was probably one of the, I mean, it was one of the hardest times of my life, but also, you know, there's just, you know, driving an aircraft carrier while jets are landing on it. It's not an experience. Oh, so you drove the air. Like, I know there's not a steering wheel, but like, <laughs> what's the hat? There's, there's a, there's a team of people up on the bridge who, you know, like, I don't know, six or eight people. But you were involved in steering the ship. That's so cool. That's even cooler than I thought. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so just some really cool memories that that I'll always, you know, cherish from that. And the people in the military, um, you can't meet that caliber of people everywhere. So just really great, great relationships that came out of that. Then I got out, did my four years, got out, and then um, went into engineering. That's what I had a degree in. And like you said, I got a job because of my experience with aircraft carriers. And then that translated into a bunch of other projects for the federal government doing energy efficiency work, which was awesome. But I was traveling all the time and loved my job. Great company. Didn't want to travel as much. Yeah. And uh, I was pregnant with my third daughter. And I just kind of said, let's, you know, I was fortunate enough that Matt, my husband, his job paid for all our expenses. So I stepped away from engineering, thought I'll flip a house, part-time mom, part-time rehabber, and the rest is history. Yeah. And I think that's super relatable. Maybe not driving the or aircraft carrier part, but like having a job and wanting to be able to spend time with your kids and not have to travel. So, I mean, yeah, that makes total sense, but why real estate? Why not anything else? My husband and I, like, when you talk about things that you like to do as a couple, we like to do house projects. We're really nerdy and we are always like fixing things. And he had brought up the idea of let's do a rehab. And I, you know, I had two and a half small children at home and I was working an engineering job where I was traveling all the time and he was working an engineering job. And I was like, that's like a third job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Three full-time jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally. So when I decided to step back, I said, let's do that thing. You know, we talked about rehabbing a house. 
I went to a local RIA meeting and I was so scared to go by myself. <laughs> you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe you were afraid to go mingle and yeah. meet people. It's funny. <laughs> it's weird. But you guys don't know Becca like I do, but I'm telling you, she is the farthest thing from shy that you'll ever find. So that's interesting that you, I mean, it's, it's honest. And I, I really was super nervous to go to those kind of things too, but I'm surprised you were. Yeah. I mean, I thought like, what's it going to be like? Is everyone going to know each other? When I walk in the room, are they all going to like, know? <laughs> newbie stamped on your forehead yeah <laughs> um, so I convinced my neighbor to come with me and that was great just having you know strength in numbers and someone to kind of fumble through it with it ended up being great everyone's super I mean now you know everyone at Rias tends to be super nice yeah yeah um, they're very interesting um she came with me and at the end of it um she was like so let's part. I, I said, Hey, I'm looking to raise money to start to do a rehab. I had 60 grand that we had access to, and I knew she had some money in the bank. So I said, you would, do you want to lend me money? Right? Like be secured on this property, sure. it's what the profits or whatever. And she said, well, this sounds really interesting to me, actually. Um, can we be partners? And so we did. And okay. the fear out of the first rehab, I mean, you know, buddy system. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so a partnership was born. How did that first rehab go? Really well. Um, it took us a long time to find our first deal. Um, okay. I think it took us like three months and it felt like we evaluated a bajillion properties, <laughs> probably more, you know, less than that. But um, now she, how much of your engineering background, like took hold of you? Like, were you overanalyzing properties? Were you being too critical? Were you like considering too many things? You know how sometimes that you can get into that a little bit? Not yeah, you, but people can get into that. No, I can get into that. Okay. <laughs> For sure. I was trying to be nice. So um, Danny Johnson's blog, like Flipping Junkie, he spent 36 weeks analyzing deals. And I had found that and that made my little engineering heart like so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt pretty confident after watching, you know, reading this guy evaluating properties that, okay. that I knew what to do. Um, I can't remember... No, it was after we bought our first one. I went to a, a training. I went to a Ron Legrand training, okay. um, which I signed up for it, I think, around the same time we started, but I didn't actually go for a couple of months later. But Ron Legrand actually sent out like uh, CDs of a bunch of his other like courses. So it was um, wholesaling and pretty houses and rehabbing. And I listened to all of those. I like ripped them to MP3s and listened to all of them. And he walked through evaluating stuff. So I felt like I, I always say this to new investors. Think of it this way. You're going to have to evaluate the numbers on like a hundred properties, make offers on 20 and you'll get one or two. Okay. Yep. So that was kind of my motto was just every no was one step closer to a yes. Okay. Awesome. So if you would have evaluated those properties again today, knowing what you know, would you have found more deals in there? Do you think, or you really were doing a good job evaluating them? I think I probably would have found less. I think, less. I, I think I was <laughs> yeah. too optimistic on my Oh, own. okay, cool. That's, that's, <laughs> all right. That's unusual for, well, first time, I think first time investors. And then, and then you, when you add the engineering layer on top of that tend to overanalyze and be a little yeah. bit too critical. So that's, I mean, it's good. That's kind of what I always try to tell people is like, you know, don't overthink it too much. It's, it's, it's fine line between like being risky and like reckless and overthinking it. So um, okay. So that's awesome. So you did your first deal, took you a long time to find, but how did the numbers look just 
roughly? How were the numbers? Um, this is rough. Four years ago, like 40 deals ago. Um, <laughs> I think we bought it around 40. We put about 40 into it and we sold it around 120, 130. We netted, okay. I know that we netted 38,000. Solid. I mean, it's super solid. That's good. And you're uh, to share with everyone what market you're in, or you know, to say the city, but just like where are you at generally speaking? Yeah. So that deal, I was in Florida. We used to live in Florida, okay, uh, in Saint Safety Harbor, so like Tampa, Pinellas County, and then now I live outside of Philadelphia, <clears throat> kind of between Philadelphia and Lancaster. Okay. Cool. Cool. So that's your first deal. You did it with a, a neighbor who was your partner. Um, I'm so, it's sort of a loaded question because I kind of know where you are now, but I'm going to, for the people listening, how did that partnership go going forward? What Did you do another deal together and how long were nope. you partners? Are you still partners? Nope. The partnership went really well, like really well. Uh, Danielle, my partner, she's awesome. We, I felt like we complemented each other very well. Like she was the, just, she would just get stuff done. You know, if you needed to go and do something, she would be there. She actually found the deal. It was off the Craigslist. Okay. And then I was more, my background was a little bit in commercial construction because of the energy efficiency. So I was more with the yeah. project management. We finished the first project. We both, you know, we netted 38, we split it 50, 50, and we both kind of looked at each other and said, well, I could do that again. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. I need to split the profits. So we went our separate ways, but we were still friendly. We would run deals by each other. We'd check out each other's rehabs. You know. Now, why did you go your separate ways? Just out of curiosity. It went well. You guys got along. There was no fighting. Why, why didn't, why not just stay together? Because we knew we could do it on our own. Okay. Make twice the money. So Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that. I mean it's it's honest and it's good. It it's good. It's a weird story. It the, <laughs> the partnership worked, but you still broke up, right? Usually yeah. the partnership goes horribly and that's why you break up. But okay, fair enough. So what was your next deal? How did that look? Or you know, we're not gonna go deal by deal, but I'm just curious, like, okay, that one went great. Now I'm excited. Now what? What happened after that? Then my second deal, the first deal. The renovation took a really long time. It was a complete gut job. So I think we were targeting, I want to say 10 or 12 weeks on the renovation. I think it took us 16 or 18 weeks. So okay. the renovation went really long. And then it was on the market for a while. So we bought it in September and I don't think we sold it till March. Okay. Six, months, six seven months. Okay. Um, we just, I guess I wanted it to be faster. <laughs> it felt <laughs> like forever. Yeah, 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 exactly. And... But when, once we had that one under contract and we knew we were going to be making money on it, I went and I started analyzing more deals and putting offers in. And I found a condo in a retirement community. This is Florida. Yep. Um, that was built, you know, they were all built in like the 70s. But it was a two bed, uh, two bath, like 1200 square foot condo. Okay. And um, that one, I think that that's the one we were in and out in two weeks. I mean, it was, it was a lipstick wow. renovation and made 20,000 on it. Holy smokes. Uh, that went so well. I'm going to do another one in this development. And that one did not go well. And I only made like two grand and I, that was by the skin of my teeth. So really same develop, same condo development. Really? Why? What was the difference? Um, a, there were HOA fees. So getting in and out really fast, like it was like 400 or $400 a month, I think. In HOA. Okay. So that was a big cost. Um, yeah, but the first one had HOA fees too, but you're saying the second one, you had a longer hold time, longer hold time, which ate into the profits. And I didn't take into account how, because there were so many, there was probably like a thousand condos in this complex, different okay. golf courses, pools, and one was right on a golf course. And I, uh, didn't, I didn't quite understand the nuances 
Um, and they only would resell for like 60 grand or 80 grand. So to be, be wrong, you were off by like 10 or 15 grand. That's your. Yeah. 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 So the first one that you sold, is it safe? It was on the golf course then? Is that what happened? Okay. And you didn't factor in how much that helped you or how much more desirable right. it was. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, it's a good lesson too. Cause I, you know, I always tell people in, in, in my business, I, I kind of like finding condo deals because the comps are typically pretty easy because there's so many and they're all the same. It's like, how can you get better than that? But that factor is huge, right? One has a more desirable location and then the other one. So there is, there are factors there. Even in condos, it's good to remember there are differentiating factors. So and that's there awesome. There so many. It was almost like neighborhoods, right? Each oh. building was like a neighborhood unto itself, which I eventually came to understand, but... Any time there would be so many condos in this unit on the market that they had their <clears throat> yeah yeah and I yeah. Was thinking, well, if I just make mine the prettiest, then it'll get the top end. But that wasn't the case. Okay, that's interesting. That's actually a really interesting point that I I, I really even consider because I've never bought a condo that had that many condos in the association. Yeah, typically I'm buying where there's like a hundred or less, you know, so it's, they are all the same in that instance. And we don't have a lot of um, picturesque golf courses or lakeside stuff here in Michigan. So, well, a lot of lakes in Michigan, but anyway, that's me. Um, so that was, okay, got it. That makes sense. I get the condo situation. And then when did you make that move to Pennsylvania and how was it like, I assume you had to restart yeah. when you went to Pennsylvania. We moved back um, two years ago and my husband had decided that he wanted to leave his engineering job and do a startup. Okay. So at that point, when we moved back, at this point, his salary had been supporting us. And I had done, I want to say like eight or nine flips by that point. So I was feeling pretty confident, like, okay, I, I can do this. This has been repeated and works. Um, right. So then I started ramping up to, you know, like two at a time. So we moved back in June and I did one that went well. I felt like I tested the market and I was like, okay, it is transferable. Florida to Pennsylvania. Sure. The skill set is the same. The, the rehab costs, the difference actually really surprised me. Like I knew I could do an AC, a full on AC permitted new system, indoor, outdoor, maybe some duct work for three grand in Florida. So okay. common, right? Yeah. Here, I went to put one in and it was like five grand for the system and then another two or three grand for the duct work. <laughs> like, wow. Totally. Now, I probably am wrong. I still like, I still feel like I haven't gotten a great HVAC contractor, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, here in Michigan, I, I think I put duct work in the last time I did it. It was a few years. It's been a while, but I think like five grand to do the duct work and the unit. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's definitely more than, that's pretty good. Three grand to, to run duct work and put the unit in. That's pretty awesome. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be like running full duct work, but it would be like some, you know, here and there to fix it, to balance. Oh, see, I got you. Okay. Not yeah, like yeah. full on duct work. Probably yeah, yeah. Five grand that. Okay. That does sound expensive. All right. So, all right, great. So now you're back in Pennsylvania. You've, you've learned that those skills are transferable, which is huge. I mean, like, I don't even want to like, skim over that. That's huge to realize that. And I think it's important for anybody listening to understand when I talk about what I do in Michigan or what, you know, Becca does in, in Pennsylvania or what, you know, Justin does in California, it's, it is all transferable. The numbers change a little bit. Certainly the, the house costs change and the renovation numbers can change, but the concepts are very transferable, which, right. which, is, which means you don't necessarily have to learn from somebody in your local market. I mean, it's great if there's someone there that you respect and they're where you want to be and they're willing to help you. But a good 
you know, someone who's helping you doesn't really matter where the, all the skills that you're learning are transferable. So that's huge. So, so go from there. What, what happened then going forward again, we don't have to go uh, property by property. It's too many, but let's just fast forward a little bit. Where did, what got you? Like I met you a few years ago. You already had had some success by at that point. Where, where were you at that point? And why did you decide that you needed coaching? Cause that's where we met, right? Not to be mysterious about it. We met in a, um, the seven figure flipping uh, program that Justin has. And, um, and to get to that program, you have to have some level of success and it's not a cheap program. So, what made you decide to do that? Why, why do you need that when you already kind of figured it out, you know, a little bit? So I had started in maybe 2015, end of the year. We moved up in June. By September, I thought, okay, let's do one a month. It's time to, to ramp this up. If, the hardest thing was like we went from having a consistent patient to not having one. And so I figured if I could buy and do a property a month, it would ensure that I would have a paycheck every month, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> baby's got to eat, um, <laughs> you know, exactly. so I started doing that. I was having a hard time finding deals and I know wholesalers, my view of them at the time was dim. <laughs> okay. Uh, and also it just wasn't something that I understood. And so I heard about seven figure flipping from Bill Allen and he said, check this group out. It's super expensive, but it's worth it. You know, if you do one more deal and I was very skeptical, I told you earlier, like I do want to touch on this because inevitably what's going to happen after this podcast is people who are considering coaching of some sort are going to reach out to me and say, should I do it? And I'm going to say it depends because I'm an engineer. (laughs) Exactly. Let's get out the the spreadsheet. Yeah. I. As an engineer, I value education, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I paid, well, you guys paid for my education, but... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're welcome, by the way. I don't know if I've ever heard a, a direct thank you to me, but all right, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, an engineering degree when I got it from a good school was about 200 grand, all in. And the return on investment of that is you can, you at that time when I started, you could walk away making... 60 grand, 70 grand a year with we're yeah. bound of in the hundreds, right? Sure. So like 120 is not unreasonable for an engineering manager salary. And it depends what kind of engineer you are, but all that to say, en- uh, education has value. So I'm not against paying for education, but I am also a skeptic. And yeah. I had the conversation with Andy, which we joke about now, but I like, didn't know who he was. I, I knew vaguely. Who he was. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Little little minor interrogation. <laughs> so who are you again and what can you do for me? Yeah. You're so successful. Why do you need my money? <laughs> uh, exactly. That's awesome. I love that story. And <laughs> plus it's like it's important to note that like Andy is like the nicest guy in the world too. So I'm sure he was like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah, he's like super nice. But anyways. I feel really bad about it now. <laughs> I still think it's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> but I was kind of t- stuck with this like, okay, I know I can do a flip a month. I know I could do it, but I was struggling a little bit. There wasn't enough for me to go around. And there were more things to focus on in a day than I could possibly focus on. So I was struggling a little bit. I had hired a project manager that was super helpful before I started seven figure flipping. And then I joined it and just I think even if I didn't do this, I would do some sort of coaching program because I was at the point where I recognized that I needed guidance 
greater than what I could get from free resources. Right. I, I needed someone to tell me what to do. Like I couldn't Google, Hey, I'm swamped. What's next? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's such a, man, that's a really strong point. I think too. You're right. Cause people say, well, I would tend to agree. Everything is sort of out there, right? Everything is available to you on the internet. It's not like there's something going on behind closed doors in a coaching program that is impossible to find for free, but you're right. You can't Google. I'm stressed. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm overwhelmed. What now? Like, you're right. There's, you can't Google that. It's, it might be out there in some form, but not specific to you. So you're right. God, that's like the best. That's the best reason to get coaching right there. I think is just that, right. It's all out there, but it's like, yeah, it's like, you take a piece of glass and break it into a hundred pieces and throw it into a field and let them spread out. They're all out there, but it's like, go ahead and assemble that glass. I dare you. It's just yeah. hard. You know, you need someone to help you kind yeah. of give you the pieces, but yeah, that's the glass analogy that we're going to now use in every yeah. coaching class. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I knew coming before this, I got my real estate license when we moved to Pennsylvania because I thought I, I value learning all the facets of something. So I said, I'm going to do all real estate all the time. I'm going to learn every angle of it. By the way, before I got my license, I thought that all real estate agents like were kind of overpaid. Uh, <laughs> That's great. And then I got my license and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more work. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Come on. Half of my pitch as a wholesaler to sellers is that realtors are overpaid. Let's not, let's not kill that myth. No, I'm just kidding. I, I it, it is not easy. How much of a therapist you are. Yeah, exactly. There is a ton of work to go that goes into it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but a lot of uh, the top real estate agents that I know, they have coaches and they'll pay easily a thousand, two thousand bucks a month for that coaching. Um, so it wasn't a foreign concept to me. It was something yeah. I had some time to let the seed, you know, germinate in my brain before it bore fruit. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, you got in the program, you talked to Bill Allen, who's another coach in the program, somebody who's in the program, friend of ours. Um, so then how, how did your, did your business change? How did your mindset change? And I, I know for a fact, just because we're friends and I've, I've known you for a while, that your mindset has changed a few times or at least once for sure. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like, how did it change both your business and your mindset and, and why and where are you at now with that? And what are your goals right now going forward? Oh, big questions. Makes sense. Big questions. I know. That's why I'm the hard-hitting podcast interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, because this is geared towards people just getting started, to understand that your mindset, mindset is going to constantly be shifting and expanding. And you can't just like go from A to Z right away. You got to you know, your brain has to grow a little bit at a time, wrap your head around it, move on to the next thing. I think, you know, someone talked about the, you grow, then you plateau, then you grow, then you plateau. Yep. Um, so when I first started the coaching program, I was doing one deal a month and I got into the room and there were rehabbers and they're doing, I don't know what Jason and Peter were doing, like a bajillion. Yeah. <laughs> 40, they were exactly. on like 40 or 50. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. I want to be them. And everyone else was talking about wholesaling. And I was like, I'm not drinking this wholesaling Kool-Aid. Yeah. That was yeah. fascinating, right? I was like, I'm not yeah. doing it. But I listened. <laughs> I paid attention. Yeah. And I watched you guys. And eventually I thought, I'm having trouble. If I want to get better, what happened was my rehabs, I think I averaged last year like 18 grand net profit mm -hmm. on my rehabs. 
and I lost money on two of them. So I had some really good ones, right? Sure. But I thought I got to get that, that average up. And the only way to get my net profit up is to go directly to the sellers. Awesome. So that was the first mindset shift was start doing marketing for my own self. And then I was doing such a small amount of marketing that it was inconsistent. So after a couple of months, I realized, well, you know what? I can always market more, put more under contract and try to wholesale them to other investors or worst case scenario, it forces me to buy them all and I get to my 50 rehabs. <laughs> yep. Cool. So was that your ship? What, like, did you shift into the like wholesaling mode or no? Yeah. Like crossing that threshold from just being a rehabber to a, first it was crossing from just being a rehabber who found deals on the MLS or Craigslist or whatever to mm-hmm. marketing. And then there was increasing marketing so that I would have an excess of deals potentially. Yep. Um, and then now what's happened is we've this year, I think we'll actually probably do almost 40 deals. And nice. Originally I thought we were going to flip 20 this year, but what's happening is we're able to sell them. You know, if I can sell them for half the profit, the end profit, I know I'd make on it and there's still room in the deal for a rehabber, then I'm not going to take that risk. Right. You, well, yeah, exactly. First of all, welcome to the Kool-Aid Club, <laughs> uh, officially, if I haven't already welcomed you. But yeah, I mean, listen, I think flipping houses is a fantastic model. And I think it's it's great. Honestly, it, there's really, it's not better or worse than wholesaling. But for me personally, and I've talked about this, what I love about wholesaling and the reason why for me, it makes more sense is number one, I'm impatient as I'll get out. So I want things to happen now. But I also liked freeing myself of appraisers who, for me, at the end of my flipping run, were absolutely killing my deals. They were just killing me. Yeah, I was. I had a couple in a row of just bad luck with appraisers, and they were FHA deals. So I don't know. I should know more about the FHA rules than I do. But here in Michigan, at least, you need two appraisals when it's an FHA deal. So you know, I would get one appraisal to come in like where it should, and the other one would be like. Fifteen or twenty thousand dollars less, and they take the lower one. So yeah. it was like, well, in the Midwest, that's a that's the deal. Like twenty grand might be the whole deal, right? So they were like just literally completely destroying my deal. So I was very happy to get away from them. Um, getting away from sometimes finicky buyers. You know, when you're wholesaling, your buyer is a another investor. So it tends to be very black and white, very analytical. It's like, tell me the numbers, where's it at? What do you want? Great. They come back, I'll give you this. You negotiate and it's done. They don't get emotional. They don't look at the the paint color and stuff. It's like it takes a, it makes it very clinical, which I like. And I and I just, you know, the just a little stuff that goes along flipping is finding out about, you know, all kinds of issues when you get into walls and the electrical's bad and mm-hmm. the foundations crumble, like all that stuff that you find out, you eliminate all that. Now there's some downsides and stuff. This isn't supposed to be a clinic on wholesaling versus flipping, but <laughs> welcome to the club, Becca. I love it. I love to have you. That's yeah. cool. So you kind of switched your model. You're doing more deals, obviously. How's that working out for you? What's, what is it? That, because I don't know for sure if I'm putting this on you or if I've heard you say it, so you can disagree with me, but I thought you were, I thought you enjoyed you were the kind of person who enjoyed taking something ugly and making it pretty and getting that, that satisfaction. So how are you doing not getting that satisfaction? So I'm still, I would say I'm still doing my rehab model um, where we're doing like one, maybe two deals a month rehabbing. I just thought we would grow that. 
Okay. That number would go up to like five or eight a month. You know, we'd build out that and we're not, we're just maintaining. So I still get my fix. Okay. Okay. And I love it. Yeah. Never. I mean, <laughs> if the market turns, I will stop doing it because I'm a smart person, Yeah. but I will miss it. I love, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I thought, I thought I knew that about you. So going cold Turkey and going straight wholesaling, it would drive you nuts probably if you didn't get your fix. Right. So yeah. I get that. Um, it makes sense. I liked it too. I, I don't need it as bad. So I'm done. I'm fine. Not getting that honestly, but yeah, that makes total sense. Like you said, it's important to, you know, people ask me all the time, this is a tangent, but I like saying it once in a while, people will ask me, Oh, you're a real estate investor. So you know all about the market. Like how's the market? And it's like, it's fine. It'll always be fine. Cause I'll just adjust. Right. So when traditionally people say the market is up great, I'll, I'll adjust to that. When the market goes down, which it will eventually, I'll adjust to that. The, the market is what, it, the market's not good or bad. It just is, in my yeah. opinion. And you, you just conform to it so that you could be profitable. So good and bad is relative. I, I think most people say when it's a buyer's market, it's kind of bad because house prices have gone down and whatever. But to me, the market is the market. There's no, I don't associate good and bad to it. It's just, it is what it is. And, and you adjust yeah. to whatever makes sense at the time. But. And, and I actually think that the getting emotionally attached to it is the problem. Like I was just talking to my sister about this and, and my bank, I sat down with, uh, I have, I work with a small local bank and they um, did a line of credit with me based on my history. So we were chatting on Friday about that. What if the market turns? And I said, well, the, the thing is you have to be super aggressive with your pricing. You have to be willing to walk away with nothing if that's what it takes to get out under a house. And so I, I was using a house we just put on the market at 300 grand. I said, you know, if it sits on the market for 300 grand and in two months, I realized that's too high and we drop it to 290, but the market was at 290 and the market's already gone to 280. I'm chasing that. Mm -hmm. So we have a, we, I have a policy where, um, and it hasn't been an issue lately, but in the first three weeks, I want to see 10 showings and an offer. And if we don't get that in the first three weeks, then we drop the price 10 grand. If it's okay. a little house it might be five but you yeah and, and what's great about having a policy like that whether it's whatever the policy is is that now you have something to measure it against right instead of just going i feel like i should drop it or i feel like i've not gotten enough showings like well what are your metrics telling you right and i know you're about metrics because yeah. you're an engineer but everyone should be about metric i'm not an i'm far from an engineer as you can get like that would have been the last thing i would have got a degree in a because i couldn't have been accepted into engineer any engineering program but it's just not the way my brain, I'm not that analytical, but I, but even I understand that metrics are super important and you have to measure your success or failure against something so you can make adjustments because metrics are, the information's fine, but it's what you do with the information, right? So that's, that's kind of my little soapbox on like to have your metrics and track your metrics, but then act on your metrics. That's, that's huge, right? So anyway, that's sort of a tangent, but Awesome. So now you're a full wholesaler. You identify yourself as a wholesaler. Back of the wholesaler. I love that. I I All not. right. Not quite that extreme, but that's when you're in the group, we're super hardcore. So you know that. Um, so how, how are things going today for you? Like, what are your struggles right now? And, and what are your, what are your goals? I'm going to be a total jerk and say that I don't, not that I don't have any struggles right now, but things are going great. That's awesome. It's been a rough year, not a rough year. It's just been, I took the lessons. I took the business that I saw work for everybody else. And I built it on, you know, with some intelligence and a little bit of blind faith. And it finally, it's cranking now. 
Good. So we're going to have our first $100,000 month. Woo! That's incredible. First of what I hope is many. That's awesome. And we are locking up, you know, one, two, three contracts a week. I think last week we got two or like two or three this week. Well, we haven't gotten any yet this week. It's only Tuesday, but uh, (laughs) yeah, before that we got two. So um, it's just, it's awesome. That's awesome. Talk to me about your team a little bit. What do you, who do you have on your team? What do they do? Talk about that a little bit. So starting from a rehabbing perspective, here's how I built out my team. The first person that I had to hire was a part-time bookkeeper, just a couple hours a week to pay bills because uh, I ran out of time. I didn't had money in the bank, but I just was missing paying people. Yep. So bookkeeper, first one. Second one, project manager, who I just, um, I hired her just to be a runner. Like uh, I'm spending hours and hours in the car every day going to properties for not important reasons, you know, yep. put a sign in the yard, a lockbox on. So totally hired a runner part-time. Um, she's great. She goes above and beyond. I know people pay theirs anywhere from 12 to $20 an hour, I guess, depending on that. And when okay. I looked at the cost of my time and just saving that time, even sure. she's, in the beginning, she saved me like 10 hours a week and it felt magical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Hiring is so liberating. It's ridiculous. People don't realize, but. And very okay. low stress because it was 10 hours yeah. a week, right? So 200 bucks, I could swing that. Sure. Um, uh, bookkeeper, I don't know. Bookkeepers are like 40 to $50 an hour, right? Mm-hmm. 35, somewhere around there. Uh, again, my bookkeeper was working like an hour a week. So okay. maybe. And then when I started doing marketing, I hired someone to answer the phones because that nice. was I got into real estate because love my engineering job, but it was like eating up my nights and my weekends and I was traveling. Yeah. And once I started doing marketing, I started losing my nights and weekends again. Yeah. Yep. So I hired somebody to answer the phones first and then go on appointments was the next person, which it was the same guy at first. And then, then an admin to do, Hey, can you call the township? Can you turn the utilities on? Can you make sure everybody has insurance? Um, Why couldn't your project manager do that? She was doing it at the beginning. Okay. But then I needed someone else that kind of do transaction coordination as well. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. At the beginning, my project manager wore any hat that I needed her to wear. And that was, you know, if you're hiring someone, finding someone with that can do personality, like I jokingly refer to her as my point and shoot weapon. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice. No, that's, that's important to have that person on your team. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Who else? No, Is there anybody else? Actually going back to that for like people who maybe are at that point where they're starting to grow and need help. Uh, I think part-time mom or like stay at home moms are the perfect fit for that because they're home during the day. If you need them to just go out and do errands, meet contract, if they're comfortable with meeting contractors, it's awesome. Is anybody really comfortable meeting contractors? (laughs) Yeah. Bring a big dog. Exactly. Uh, And then, so let's see, transaction coordinator, again, part-time. Everybody was kind of part-time, just a couple hours a week. But I, so being an engineer, subscribed to the idea of like have a machine where everybody does their one thing really well. Yeah, love it. Ford Motors of real estate. Yep, me too. <laughs> I totally agree with you on that. Now, did you leave, do you have a dispositions person or is that your transaction coordinator? Does that too? I hired, I started this year when I really started ramping up and we started getting maybe five consistent appointments a week. Okay. I was on the hunt. I went through a couple acquisitions people this year before I finally found my 
guy now, but while I was hiring for him, this other guy applied and he, I think it was funny because you said something that made me think it was a lot like you where he was an REO agent. Tom, if you're listening, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tom. Shout out to Tom. And he had more of the kind of investor side of things. You know, you're talking about like you're, you talk to investor buyers, they're much different than Mm -hmm. normal buyers. Yep. And I remember at the time thinking, I'm not at the point where I need a full-time dispositions person, but this is the right guy for that role. Yeah. So I brought him on board. Nice. And he was still doing some real estate agent work at the same time. So it was nice that we could have him fed a hundred percent. Gotcha. It is very much like what happened to us. We, we, our dispositions person originally interviewed for the acquisitions job. He didn't seem like a great fit for that position. He was okay, but not great, but he's great for dispositions. He's much better working with buyers who have a different set of challenges that you have to deal with than homeowners. He's just more qualified to work with them, I think. And he's just better set up for it. So yeah, it worked out well, but that's, you know, it's a great reason why you should kind of, and this is a, maybe a tangent too, but you should sort of always be in that hiring mode because you just don't know who's going to come along and where they're going to fit. We didn't try to fit him into that position, but he just made sense for it. So yeah, it, it was very much like what happened to us. And I think also you need to know where you need to look a couple steps down the road, because if I hadn't thought any further than just, I need an acquisitions guy, I wouldn't even have seen the opportunity when it sure. came out, Yeah. Right? So yep. My brain was already primed to see that that was going to be a need later on. Yeah. So. Totally. Okay. That's your team. Now things are humming along. You make a hundred thousand dollars every single month, apparently. So that's awesome. What are your goals? Where are you trying to go? What, what are your big plans for the rest of this year? But then I want to talk about 2018. Oh man, I haven't even thought about that yet, but come on, don't lie to me. So when I sat down in January of this year, I was super ambitious and I wanted to do a deal a week. So 52 deals. Okay. Uh, I wanted to gross $952,800. I, I, yeah, there was math. <laughs> I'm going to say there's a little bit of math involved. And for me, I'm a guy who just loves round numbers and symmetry. That is That makes my skin crawl. Why not a million? For gosh sakes, Becca. There was, there was reasoning. There was a spreadsheet. <laughs> or even 950. Don't give me these crazy exact numbers. That messes, that messes with my head. All right. That's, that's just me. I would kill it. I put it up on my wall. And it's a great talking point. Like people come in and they see yeah. that. Like, what is, what? <laughs> that's awesome. That is so funny. So you have, so that's, is that your revenue goal or is that your profit goal? Revenue. Okay, good. No, that's important. No, it's, listen, that's super important, right? We're trying to be honest. Like I talk about revenue too. I don't talk about, I mean, I, I talk about profits, but when, when I make a goal or when Cowper and I make a goal for our company, it's always revenue, Right because profits can go up or down. And this is something that people get stuck on too. It's like, well, how much of that is profit? Well, I could tell you, but it's going to be different for everybody. And it really kind of depends on your goals. And are you in building mode? Are you trying to, are you trying to hire and build for what you want to be? Or are you trying to maintain, right? If I just want to maintain, I could strip back some of the things we're doing and save a lot of money, but we're trying to become a $10 million company, not a $2 million company. So to that end, we have to, or we choose to do things that are a little bit overreaching, which, mm-hmm. which affects our profits, right? So totally. I don't know. It's not that profits are irrelevant, but they're, they can be irrelevant in certain conversations. But anyways, that's good. Revenue goals. Love that it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. 
Good. And a side note, it was September 1st, last Friday. I went through my books. I wasn't profitable until last Friday. Okay. So nine months, we've been just breaking even. Wow. So Yeah. So, but I thought wholesaling was just like no money, no experience. It's so easy. I know I get that all the time too, because I've talked to a lot of new students and stuff and certainly people that aren't in our program. And they're like, I'm, I think I want to start off wholesaling because I don't have any money and you can do it with no money. It's like, yeah, you can, but uh, it's not going to be a business. You're going to be a, commit to, you know, yeah, you're going to be a little bit of a blind squirrel approach, right? Yeah. You may find a nut once in a while, but good luck building that business. That's tough. But anyways, that's a whole nother rant, but yeah, it's expensive to, to run the business, but the idea is you make several times what you put out, you know, what your expenses are at some point. So awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Becca. I, I, I kind of, I knew you way back when you weren't doing a hundred thousand dollars a month, you were a little, but I mean, you had success, but not the level that your, that your, your momentum is taking you to now. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to see where a lot of people who we met a few years ago are now, right? I mean, Bill's a good example. Obviously he gets used a lot no, within our circle. Example. He, he's what? Golden child. Yeah, yeah, he is a golden child. Listen, he might listen to this and we don't need to stroke his ego, but <laughs> yes, he went from rags to riches pretty fast. Um, and we talk about a lot in our circle, but yeah, it's unusual, but it, it certainly can happen. And a lot of it is attitude and, and mindset. And like, that's the soft like stuff like eh, you have the right mindset, but you also have to have the nerve to take the action. Yeah. It's not easy. Like you said, part of where you got where you are was blind faith. It was educated faith and it was like there were there was reasons and for you to believe that it would work, but there was no guarantee. Right. Yeah. You had to do it before it happened. So that's that's huge. And a lot of people, especially engineer types, and I, I all seriousness and all kidding aside, I give you tons of credit because I know that that engineering background, it's more of like prove to me before I commit kind of a thing. I need, I need data and facts that show me that it's going to for sure happen. And you get none of that in real estate investing. You can look at other people's data, but it's not your data. So it doesn't mean anything. So that's, that's huge, man. I'm, I'm super psyched for you. So if you had to start over again, it's that typical podcaster question, but if I stripped you of everything, all your money and everything, but you kept your knowledge, but you had to start over and let's just say Indiana, similar market, right? Plopped you down to Indiana. What would you do first? How would you start to build your business back? I'd find lenders so that when I found a deal, I had money ready to go. And how would you go about finding lenders? Like who, what kind of lenders, like, like mortgage companies or private lenders or what kind of lenders? I think I started it the right way. Hard money, I think is a, a good way to start. I, I do think there's a usefulness to hard money. I feel like they get bashed a lot, but mm-hmm. if, if your end goal is to make $0 or <laughs> half the dollars, obviously make half the dollars. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I so I actually started by writing a letter to friends and family. I had 60,000. I knew I probably needed 120. And I wrote to my friends and family based on my credibility. I'm looking for $10,000 commitments for like a business loan for a year. I'll give you 12% interest. First five people to commit, get an extra percent interest. Um, so that was the first thing I did. Then I would start to learn the market. Like how? Today, how would you do that? I would just run numbers on deals. I would practice comping things. When I okay. started, I wasn't an agent. I used Zillow to compound properties. And um, I, I, now I realize I would go to RIA's and I would find contractors local there or rehabbers there who yep. are maybe 10 or more rehabs a year. And I would ask them to run for me what their dollar per square foot is. 
and kind Smart. of like their baseline cosmetic. Because I know now in my market, interior, exterior, baths, kitchens, you know, landscaping, paint, we run about $20 a square foot. Okay. And then I add on to that roof, heater, well, septic, whatever the big stuff is, mold, sure. waterproofing. So I would go to my local RIAs and ask people who are doing this or find the rehabbers and say, what's your like dollars per square foot? Just so I have a ballpark for estimating repairs. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's super good advice. That's, it's an interesting thing. You know, because people ask me a lot too, like, how do I estimate repairs if I've never been in the property? It's like, well, you sort of need to have some kind of a rule of thumb, whatever it is in your area, but that's a good way to get that rule of thumb. You can either get it through experience and then you do, you use your own data or you just, you use somebody else's data who's in your market. That's pretty smart, actually. I like yeah. And I, the thing that I took away really from that Ron LeGrand training was like, you're never going to estimate your repairs correctly. You're never going to do it. So A, don't try and get it down to the penny. It's yep. Either it's a twenty, a twenty-five thousand, a thirty, or a thirty-five thousand dollar repair. And if you run your numbers and you come out to thirty-two, then it's thirty-five. If you're at thirty-six, then it's a forty thousand. You know, round yeah, up. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I love when people have on their their renovation spreadsheets like switch plate covers and stuff. I'm just like it blows my mind. It's like you've got to be kidding me. Right. It's like twenty-five cents for five. You seriously had that on your list? But you're right. I I tend to look at my renovations when we do flips and when I did flips in the past. I, I kind of look at a house like. In, in modules, like the kitchen's a module, the bathrooms are a module, the roof, the flooring, the paint, like the, there's only like six or seven big, big items, right? That, that you're going to do in any house anyway. So I always looked at it like that. So I was only adding like six or seven numbers together to get my all in, yeah. you know, and then like you said, I'd round up. So if those numbers got me to 27,000, you're right. It was 30,000. Those are my incidentals, things that I'm not accounting for, like the dumpster or, you know, yeah. switch plate covers and things like that, right? Things that people kind of forget about. And then there's so something's going to happen. What's that? Three grand in switchblade. Yeah, three three grand. It's a big They're house, Rebecca. They're gold plated, of course. It's Michigan, so you expect gold plated covers. Um, that's awesome. So I, I, your goal for this year was fifty two. You said you're going to do around forty. Is that right for the year? Okay, awesome. So you said fifty two though, but was that fifty two flips, fifty two wholesales, or just deals? You didn't care. So like it was going to be. I wanted to ramp up to two rehabs a month, so twenty four rehabs and the rest wholesale. Okay. So about half and half is was your original plan. Okay. Very cool. And then you haven't thought about 2018. I don't know if you expect me to believe that, but I, I know, well, I'm going to sit down. There's like, everything's involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm reading. I just ordered the 12 week year. I actually ordered it weeks ago, but then I realized that it never got shipped. So <laughs> I'm reading that. And I think that'll probably help with goal setting. I always do 30, 60, 90 day goals traction. I want to, next year, I'd like to be at a 1.5 or 2 million. Okay. Excellent. I love it. That's good goals. That's high goals and it's good goals. It's good to have goals that inspire you, right? And that's $952,000 is a lot of money, but it's, it's freaky. It's freaky. It's specific for me, but, (laughs) but that's awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, is there anything else that you want to share anything else you want any advice you want to give to people who are going to use your advice and run out there and do it? Like what would you tell them if they're running out the door and all they have is what you've just shared with them to get going? There's no secret. It's hard work. Yeah. Just do it and do it and do it. And you'll, you might take some lumps, but be consistent. Totally. And don't be afraid. I'm going to throw this in for you, but don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to ask for help, whether it be informal or a formal coaching program. Like don't, 
don't be hesitant and don't think that you're not at a place where you should be asking. You probably should be asking right off the bat. Honestly, we all would have probably gotten farther faster if we would have started with coaching immediately. But um, that's my personal opinion. Actually, I'm going to stop you because yeah, go for I don't it. know that some people are at the right point where they can make use of coaching. So I don't think right out the gate. What about, okay, let me, let me, let me challenge that. Maybe not $10,000 coaching or $20,000 coaching, but a local person at your local RIA who's farther ahead than you are to sit down with them and pick their brain. Like to me, that's coaching too, right? It doesn't have to be a formal paid thing, but I think everyone should be asking for help from day one, in my opinion. And then as you ramp up and your goals get big and you're, you want to really save a lot of time and, and really ramp it up paid, you know, high level coaching is not a bad option, but you're right. That's, Paying for coaching is not necessarily from day one necessarily. Well, I actually know. I mean, I realized I did it, right? I went to that seminar. So true. I think it'll like you should pay for it incrementally where you're at. There yeah. are a lot of great beginner coaching programs out there. Sure. Um, so I know one in my market, one of the local uh, people does it and she does awesome. And her students really get a lot out of it. And I think it's like two grand or three grand, you know, and it helps walk you through step one, do this. Step two. Yep. Two. So. Yep. I couldn't agree more, Becca. Listen, if you have nothing more to share, I think this was awesome. I think we share a lot of good stuff and helped a lot of people. I really do. So uh, with that, I again, I, I apologize for how long it took to get this done, but I appreciate that you stuck with it and and we did it. We it's, we did it. We're on the other we side. Did it. It's awesome. Woo, we did it. Checked off the life goal. Checked list. off. Hey, exactly. Checked off the list. So thanks again for for doing this with me, Becca. I appreciate it, and uh, I will be seeing you next month probably. Yeah. In California. So awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Guys, before we go, one quick thought. One thing that I've learned in real estate over the last few years, and it's a really a, a recent discovery for me, is I am struggling and I have struggled over the years with keeping track of my books for my business, right? It's one of the thing it's a less it's a one of the less sexy aspects of real estate and it's nothing that you ever see, you know, talked about or the gurus don't really talk about it, but doing your books properly will make your life so much better at the end of the year and at tax season. It's not something like I said that people talk about a lot because it's not exciting, it doesn't get people excited, but I can tell you what is the opposite of getting excited is being completely miserable. And I know that in the past, I have been miserable at tax time because I didn't know where to start. I was sort of like kind of halfway getting things to my accountant and it was a real disaster. So if you want to avoid all of that headache, you need to hire a bookkeeper and I am using the best. I am using a company that I actually personally train them to understand this business and to learn and know how to keep the books properly for real estate investors. I sort of trained them in real estate and they applied that to the books so that my bookkeeping is completely hands-off. They do everything. They get everything ready for the account at the end of the year, and you just basically hand over the information. It's so easy. They're pay- they my 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 bookkeepers like pay contractors and give me reports on my business, the status, a PL, a balance sheet. They can run reports and tell you exactly where you are all the time and keep track of all the money going in and out. Guys, These guys are the best. I highly suggest that you check them out. If you go to reibooks, 
online.com. You can go and see what they're about. Uh, we can you, you can get in touch with them and 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 talk to them and find out if, if it's a good fit for you. But if you go to REI Books online.com you can get a hold of them there and guys you'll be glad you did because like i said it's not one of the more sexy things to talk about in real estate but it is one of the most overlooked and recklessly handled area of real estate that i've i've seen in all my years so check them out and i think you'll be very happy that you did okay until next time if investing in real estate is your dream there's only one way you can make it a reality just start Thank you